Guts and Grit Podcast. A podcast where we discuss overcoming the odds, resiliency, and never giving up. Join us each week as host John Melson, Joy Vatrebeck, and Mark Renahan discuss coming back from failure and never quitting. Guts and Grit, it's go time. Welcome back to another episode of Guts and Grit. This is episode nine, I believe. We're almost to 10. Of course, I am with my two co-hosts as always, Sergeant Melson coming to us from Fort Benning. I think still at Fort Benning, Johnny? I'm still here. Yes, and of course, the lovely Joy. She wasn't with us last week. She had Thank a little you. bit of the Rona. Yeah. She's back Glad and to be back. feeling you, good. It's been going around. Yes, it has. And of course, that is our engineer, Noah. So today we have a, a kind of a, a, I call it a brief reunion show, but uh, we have a special guest with us today. His name is Brian Wood. Brian was a member of the service with John. Uh, he's been to Afghanistan several times, and he was part of an incredible story called Op Nevada. We're going to get into a little bit later today. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to welcome with the show today, Brian Wood. Brian, how are you? Welcome, Brian. Hey, I'm doing good. Well, Brian, we, we like to jump right into the show. We, we don't like to be shy. So, you know, I know you were originally from Illinois, uh, and I know that you uh, joined up and you were with the Mass National Guard. But maybe you could just go into a little bit of your background and tell us what got you to join the service. Um, I had always wanted to do something with my life. I didn't know if I wanted to be in law enforcement or military. And then September 11th happened. And I remember being in high school at September 11th and watching the towers fall, um, in school. And that was just extremely, you know, traumatic for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that solidified my dedication to what I wanted to do. Cause I knew what was, I knew what was going to happen with the country. I was graduating the next year. And it was just something that I put my, you know, I put my stake in the ground and I said, this is what I'm going to do because I know that we're going to go over there and, um, you know, take care of business. And I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to do something better um, than just, um, you know, something for myself. I wanted to be part of something bigger. Well, thank you, Brian. Now, Brian, it's funny that, not funny, I shouldn't say that, excuse me, but it's interesting that you bring up September 11th. Mm. Uh, We've had... A couple of guests on our show, uh, one was a survivor who was on one of the floors on September 11th, and it's amazing how much that event um, affected everyone in our nation, and it got a lot of guys like yourself uh, interested in serving. So I, I guess my next question is a, a lot of people, uh, and it's been in the news lately too, Afghanistan, I know just yesterday there was an Al-Qaeda leader killed there, but yeah. you have been to Afghanistan, and I was just curious, you know, w- kind of what your take was on that country and what your time in country there was like. Um. It was it was kind of it was surreal. I didn't really know what you're going to get into. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of our training, you know, our pre-mobilization training and stuff like that, would have people who were previously deployed. You even have Afghan citizens coming over, local nationals, to help you kind of establish of what it's going to be like. But when you get there, it's it's entirely different. You know, um, you land, it's hot, it sucks, it's dirty. Um, no matter where you go, you know, uh, it's always just the hurry up and wait. But what kind of amazed me was the multiple tours that we've done is no matter where we were in the country, it just seemed like everything was the same. Um, it seemed like the way that uh, everyone's attitude towards us was the same. Like we, we tried, we, we, we did so much to help out. We did so much to care for um, as much as we could to help them better themselves so that we didn't have to be there so that they can go ahead and they could be, you know, their own country. They could do their own thing. And it just seemed like, just seemed like we were taking advantage of, you know, it's like that uh, they're just trying to get what they can try and get 
out of us when they could. And uh, there's a lot of uh, blue on green, green on green, stuff like that, which is where, you know, you would have local nationals police or where we would, you know, um, would attack us, service members and things like that. So there's always this level of maybe mistrust. Um, so, I mean, it, it was hard. It was hard to sit there and especially uh, with me and John, it was my first appointment. You're part of an uh, ETT, an embedded tactical training team. So we live with and we train in uh, the Afghan National Army. So to sit there and to train them and have relationships with them, but at the same time, something in the back of your head is, can I trust these people all the way, mm. um, is, is really hard. It's really hard to let your guard down like that, but also be in combat with them and then train them and actually care for them because essentially, yeah, I, hey, we're putting our life on the line with you guys because we're here fighting with you guys, you know, same enemy. Yeah, so I, Johnny, let me ask you: Did you do you have did you have any of those same issues? I mean, it, it must have been super hard. Like, hey, I'm here, I'm training you guys, I'm trying to you know help you guys any way I can. But then again, you know, last week one of you tried to kill us. Like, mm -hmm. is is that something that never leaves the back of you guys' mind when you're over there? I think John is frozen. John, you copy us? No, John is frozen, but that's all right. We'll get him back in a minute. But it, it, that obviously, Brian, is something that had to go through your head nonstop. Yeah. Now, when you first got there to meet John, were you a member of the Mass National Guard with John? No, no. We had gotten there, um, and we, we hooked up with the 1st Infantry Division. Um, and then so I was actually, I was just promoted a team leader um, in a completely, an entirely different unit. John was already um, in the South, and, and he was part of this embedded tactical training team. When I arrived in country, I was just promoted to a team leader. Uh, my secondary or my primary MOS was infantry. My secondary MOS was mortarmen, so indirect fire. As soon as I landed in country, um, I had uh, a, a second lieutenant come up, ask for me personally, and he said, hey, you need to report to uh, Colonel Bessler's office, which he was the ARSIC commander. So he commanded the entire western region of Afghanistan. Had no clue who he was or what he wanted with me. He pulled me to the office and said, hey, I heard you're the best man qualified to go down south and be part of this ETT team. I had no clue what they were. And in three hours, I was on a Humvee and I was separated from all my guys. And about nine and a half hours later, I linked up with this team and John was there. Before I mobilized, I had a lot of good friends who were veterans and things like that. And they said, you need to find the guy with the most combat experience, the guy who knows exactly what he's talking about. And they said, you need to get in his back pocket and learn everything that you can possibly learn. And that was John. That was John to a team. John, so are, you, Brian, are you back with us, John? So Brian, what's an EGT team? Um, embedded Tactical Trainer. Okay. So ETT. So it was a specialized team that uh, was small. And like I said, we lived with and we trained the Afghan National Army. So it was like, we were totally in control with them. We would go out on missions with them. We would train them to get them up to speed on anything. Um, you know, small unit tactics, large uh, you know unit tactics, um, dismounted patrols, mounted patrols, you know, heavy weapons. And then my specialty at the time was indirect fire. So that was mortars and things like that. Um, so to get them uh, mobilized, you know, with mortar training and things. So when I got there, they had had me, you know, for the heavy weapons platoon. So uh, or the heavy weapons company. And, you know, I'm looking at anywhere between, you know, 60 to 85 soldiers with, uh, you know, NCOs and officers and stuff like that to get them up to speed to be able to support themselves when they're in combat. 
Jeez, that's 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 well, quite the that's quite the job. It is, I know. I know. I'm the voice of a cartoon character, so <laughs> you know, similar in the things there. But Johnny, are you back with us? Yeah. Am I on now? Yeah, your, your a internet's bit. a little weak, but you're there, buddy. Oh, you're there now, Johnny. Okay. So okay. You got me. Yeah, go ahead. There you go. Okay, so just to answer your previous question, um, when when we were embedded with the uh, the weapons company, that was my second tour being embedded with the Afghan army, and so knowing it was a heavy weapons company, we we're going to need an eleven Charlie, which is a mortarman, which is Brian's specialty, and so we had reached out Captain Garvin, Messar Sammons, uh, we had reached back to the Arsic West Command up in Herat, and we had we had asked, hey, do you have any eleven Charlies? which is Mortarman, as part of the security force element up there in Herat, because we could really use one down here to help train mortars. We know mortars, but that's not our specialty. And uh, lo and behold, they gave us Brian. And what a huge addition Brian's skill set was for our success with the mission that we had in, in Herat, well, down in Farah. And uh, with that, Brian, Brian established uh, some of the best mortar training that the uh, – the Afghan National Army had received throughout their time as being soldiers in the Afghan Army. And uh, mm. Brian continually received praise for that. And it, it also showed on the battlefield once we were able to put those ANA soldiers in action fighting against the Taliban, as well as we had a Marine Special Operations Detachment with us. Um, and Brian was able to get, integrate the mortar training into the, the mission and the capabilities of the MARSOC team as well. So it played on very... Very dangerous ground out there in Western Afghanistan, uh, in Farah. That's when the big push, with the, the Marines down in Helmand, um, and it, it ended up pushing a lot of the Taliban activity up into our AO. And um, it, it was great to have Brian as part of the team, become friends. All, all of us, it was a small team. I think, Brian, I think total we had, what, eight, nine of us? Yeah, eight, nine, are all, all first name basis. Yep. And uh, Messar Sandwich, he was the crusty old guy, he still sleeps on his thumbtacks, I'm sure. Right? <laughs> uh, but he was, he was active duty. Um, and we got into an awful lot of enemy interaction in, in Farah. Um, oh, we just lost John. Oh. Is that you Farat you're saying? Farat? Farat, H E R A T. Oh, hurrah. Johnny, I lost you for a second. You there now? Okay. Am I back? You're back. Yeah, sorry. All right. Sorry. And uh, so getting to meet, link up with Brian. Brian was big on uh, fitness as well. Two of us always button heads, getting in the gym, working out, <laughs> you know. Um, and one of our previous guests who used to try and come in the gym, and Brian knows him because you know, he was part of our team, was Rashid. Now, now he's a uh, lieutenant in the United States Army. Uh, we all know him as Arm, right? So that's how we knew Arm when he was just a young 18-year-old kid. Um, coming in to lift with you two? What's that? He was coming in to work out with you two? Yeah. yeah that must have been great. Great. God love you, Rashid. Mother of God. Not only did you go through everything you went through, but you had to go lift with these two animals. All right. Well, that's that's interesting. So it, was, it was a great tour, that, that Farad tour. Um, man, the bonds we had... Brian had some really good, good videos of uh, some of the silliness. Uh, we say silliness, but to the general population, it was probably just absolute madness 
when we're in the middle of the thick of things fighting with the Taliban and you hear us laughing it off. And so that's where, you know, we like to say laying down an ass whooping, right? Um, we get through that deployment and obviously we had a bond and, and we stayed in touch. And uh, like you already mentioned, he was, he was with the Illinois National Guard. I was a Massachusetts Guardsman on, you know, I volunteered for that deployment. And then later on, a couple of years later, I got the opportunity to become a platoon sergeant and get my own platoon and, and deployed to Afghanistan. And I reached out to Brian, um, knowing, hey man, I'm, I'm gonna need somebody with skill set with mortars, combat experience like you. And uh, he, Brian already underwent all the madness. So we understood the method to the madness of why it's so important for us to train, get in shape, do what we gotta do because he'd been through the thick of it with me. And uh, man, man, I love this guy. I mean, he didn't hesitate at all. As soon as I asked him, he was like, hey man, would you wanna come over and, and go on this deployment with me? Um, and it, it actually, I think he was itching too. I think he wanted to get back in the fight not, not so much just me asking him to go. I think he was looking for the opportunity as well. And uh, he transferred to Massachusetts and ended up uh, deploying with us on the second tour. And uh, man, did he do a great job the first deployment I was with him? He did even a better job the second time leading soldiers to the big win and getting them through some of the hairiest shit that they've ever went through. What, what year was this, John? Uh, me and Brian worked together from 2008, 2009 in Western Afghanistan. And then we linked up in uh, late 2010, and he, that's when he moved out. He was staying at my house in, in, in Dedham and then um, trained up the guys. And then we went and deployed uh, early, was it January, February, I think it was, we went to Camp Battery, Brian. Yeah, uh, yeah, in the frat house, yeah, your house, the frat house. Yeah. <laughs> you had him living in Massachusetts and he made it to Afghanistan. That's a miracle in itself right there. Well, Johnny, uh, yeah, with, with, go ahead. With the Dunkin' Donuts every, every, every oh, block. Oh, yeah. Well, my brother lives in Dedham, Brian, and that, that, that's like Dedham is, is heavy Dunkin' Donuts territory. Heavy oh, Dunkin' Donuts heard. territory. Love some Dunkin' Donuts. Well, John, you brought up an interesting point, and in which kind of what today's show, I'm, I'm going to, I hate to steer towards this, but uh, I know you two went together over there, and uh, you were part of a, a, for lack of a better term, a very famous type of a battle called Op Nevada. Uh, I know that you both had different roles in that fight, whereas Brian was on top at an outpost um, surrounded and facing heavy Taliban. And you were, I, I don't want to get this wrong, but you were back at a, at a forward base, I'm assuming, and then came to the fight afterwards. I, I wanted to maybe touch base a little bit about that um, and just get kind of the, the point of, you know, A, how Brian was feeling being A, at that outpost, you know, you're with your guys, you're surrounded, and you, how you were feeling being back where, you know, knowing that your guys were in a, in a tough situation and then boom, you went from there. So I don't know which one of you is going to start, but maybe we could just kind of get into it. Hey, well, I, I'll leave it up to Brian. I mean, this was, this was Brian's thing. Uh, I, I was there just riding his shirt tails, trying to give him, give him what he needed to be to be successful. But uh, Brian, Brian uh, took those guys in for a big win. Sure. Oh, so, um, I, I knew the responsibility of what it was, you know, as a squad leader to, you know, want to make sure that you get everybody home safe. That's the biggest deal. Um, so when we arrived in country and we're at our, you know, our, our forward operating base, this observation post is line of sight. You can literally see it from where our forward observation post was. Um, it wasn't, but it wasn't, but a mile as the crow flies right across the river. 
but in order for you to get there, the only way to get there was, uh, was by Hilo. So you could not walk up there. You couldn't hike up there or anything else like that. The terrain was really rough. Um, so we would go up there at a week at a time. Uh, and it was a squad leader based mission. So the squad leader would be up there and just kind of run the show. But when we, when we established ourselves up there, we really were um, making it known that uh, there's a new group in town and we're trying to make sure that we're not going to, we're eliminating any and all access for Taliban activity in our sector, anything that we could see. So anything that we would spot, we would report that up, you know, um, we would have, you know, warning fire, things like that. Uh, we would call for fire every, every time when we needed to. So we could really limit their movement. We did not want them to hit, uh, you know, friendly towns. We did not want them to hit forward operating bases or roads or any of that stuff. As soon as that happened, the Taliban activity around the area really just kind of ramped up because they were, they were a little pissed to say the least. Um, what had happened was we had only been up there for a handful of days. It was our first rotation up there. We really, really weren't known what to expect. And in my squad, I've only had two guys who deployed. So the rest of my eight guys up there are all new. Um, so there's only really three of us that had combat experience. Um, we had reports with our Afghan uh, National Army guys who were up there. Uh, we had reports that Taliban were trying to breach our wire um, one uh, early one morning. So we had a small dismounted patrol. We went out there and there was three men who were trying to breach the wire. We were able to go ahead and get one. The other two had ran off and we brought him in for questioning. Um, um, Afghan intelligence had came up brought, you know, to the mountain, escorted him down. Um, and we later on found out that actually that man was the uncle of a local Taliban leader. Um, and they were under the impression that he was still up on top of the mountain. So, and all of this is going through ICOM radio, which is it's, it's, it's radios that were able to intercept Taliban messages because they're not encrypted. So our interpreters would have these radios and we'd be able to hear messages back and forth and they would let us know what they're saying. It's not always accurate. It's not always crystal clear, but it kind of, it's, it's better than nothing. So throughout the entire day, we kept getting intelligence about how they're gathering soldiers and fighters from all these surrounding villages, and they are going to come up and get this man and attack us. This entire time, we're reporting this down to our, you know, down to a uh, um, uh, fob right. And um, John's in the operations center as well. So he's down there. He's listening. You know, we've got our platoon leader. we got our squad leaders and everyone else is down there. And they're all listening to figure out what's going on. No one really knows what's going to happen. On the mountain, I'm up there just letting my guys know we got to dig in. We're getting everything ready. This is potentially what could happen, you know. And the interpreter and the local the, and the platoon leader for the Afghan security was extremely scared. I've never seen them so scared and so, so amped up. So I knew this was serious. The hours passed by and the hours passed by and it started to get into the night and we just kept getting more and more numbers and more and more intel where they're at. They're still on the way. You know, they're, they've got 60 fighters, 70 fighters, 80 fighters. And then it just kind of kept, kept going around in between 80 to 90 fighters is what they had. And we're up there with 10 guys. We got 10 guys and we got a, a, a half a platoon of Afghan soldiers that have little to no training really bad weapons, really bad aim, not a lot of ammo. So it's not really looking all that good. Um, as we're reporting down, uh, you know, we're just getting, you know, we're just getting it from the fob down there from, you know, uh, they're just telling us, hey, just let us know what happens, you know, just just, just stick with it. We're just trying to get, you know, up there. We're, we're just not knowing what's going to happen. 
So we were on stand two, standby. Everyone's manning their cruiser positions. Everyone's in their positions and everything else like that. And I was doing what I was doing, which is kind of command and control. So I'm on the radio. I'm at the front of it, just trying to figure out what's going to happen here. Um, it really kicked off about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night uh, when we started seeing a lot of movement. And then what had happened was um, they initiated the attack from the very front of our outpost with um, heavy RPG and heavy weapons fire almost instantly. And it just exploded from there. Um, our Afghan counterparts had went black on ammo, which means they had used every single bit of their ammo in the first 30 minutes of the fight. They were not conservative with their ammo whatsoever. Um, they weren't really hitting targets or anything else like that. So to rely on them was nearly impossible. And then um, as the attack progressed, we can hear movement all over the place. They were trying to flank different positions. They were going around and trying to get up on the, uh, the weak side where the Afghan security group was. All the while I'm talking down, I'm communicating with the FOB of what's going on, where we're at, here we are, we don't have any casualties. This is what our ammo status is. Um, and we're calling for fire. I'm calling for artillery fire from two FOBs away um, as they're giving us 155s. I think it was 155s and 105s, John, I can't remember. And um, anyway, we held off. Um, and we were able to repel about three or four attacks over a span of about three hours um, with extremely limited ammo and our ammo was, was, was dwindling. And what I kept hearing was that we were not getting backup. We were not getting what's called QRF, quick reaction force. Um, the commander at the time was not authorizing that. And that's what scared us the most. That's what scared me the most is because my guys are asking, where's our backup? And I, I couldn't tell them that backup's not coming. I have no clue what's going on. And I'm talking with, you know, our lieutenant as well. You know, his name's Dan. I'm trying to talk with John. John's listening. And I, I, I found this out later. They're, they're listening in the platoon room, you know, uh, listen to the whole fight. A lot of people on the FOB could see the fight because you just go outside. It's nighttime. And you can see the very top of the mountain. You can just kind of see bullets and everything else like that and explosions going back and forth. So everyone can see what's going on. Everyone can hear what's going on. But command was not authorizing any anything to be done. At the time, there was also a very, very, very heavy conflict north. So a lot of air support was already directed at this very big fight that was going up north. And, uh, and not a lot of people knew what was going on at our little location. Um, not to interrupt, Brian, but how far were you from that, that fight in the north? Uh, I want to say that was maybe like 30 clicks north. But it was heavy. I mean, they had they had like two divisions up there that was just 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 in a, in a, into a thick of it. They were into this very big operation. So, um, our our base, our FOB, was the furthermost point in Afghanistan for um, it's called a FARP. So it's a uh, it was a, a refueling point for um, uh, rotary winged aircraft, okay. and it was also the northernmost point for uh, we had a um, we had a, a FST. So it was a forward surgical team. So it was like a mini hospital there. Okay. So there's two key locations of why our FOB was pretty important. Um, at one point in time, I heard that we were not getting reinforcements. And that just really kind of crushed us. Mm. It really crushed me because I had two of my guys, one of my team leaders was next to me, Camillo. And he heard that on the radio and I was trying to keep the radio down. So I wasn't going to demoralize everybody. He said, what did they just say? 
They said, it's not authorized. We're not authorized. You guys have to, you guys have to stick it out. Well, we were extremely low on ammunition. And at this time, the only thing that was keeping these guys back was the amount of artillery fire and explosions I was able to call from two fobs away. And they went black on ammo. They, 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 they didn't have any more to sustain us. The next thing that we could do was our, our as our base is the Afghans had their mortar, mortar crew as well, which they're not nearly as accurate. So that was scary to use them, but they didn't have nearly as enough equipment and they were black on ammo too. And black on ammo means you're done throughout. So the only thing to keep, keep them at bay was just this wall of steel and wall of explosions. And when that stopped and we were low on ammo, we just had no clue what we were going to do. Um, and I'll admit I was extremely, extremely scared. I kind of was just sitting there kind of making my peace because that location, when the Russians were there, they had a, uh, they had an entire platoon of Russian soldiers up there. And that exact location was actually overran years, you know, decades before. Mm. So that was a, a previous location where the Russians had, had been and people have been, they were killed to a man there. So that was, that was really kind of depressing. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not a good thought. No, not no. at all. No. So I'm just sitting there not knowing what's going to happen or what we're going to do. Meanwhile, as soon as this kicked off, John got him. John was getting everybody ready um, and, and just standing by. was just waiting for the go, waiting for the go to get something going on. All right. And he'll tell you his part here later. But what had happened was out of nowhere later, John said, hey, or someone said, I can't even remember if it was John, but they said QRF is on the is on the way. QRF, the, they just lifted up. Birds are landing in two minutes. And that just came out of nowhere. And I had no clue what we we're going to do. Like I said, this was our, our, this was our first rotation up on the mountain. So a lot of these guys who were landing had not been up on that location yet. It's pitch black in the middle of a firefight in unknown terrain. And we have three rows of razor wire. That's like a maze out there uh, where we're at the only spot where you could land. So somebody had to go out there and mark the landing zone, mark the LZ with a strobe, with the IR strobe. Mm. Well, that somebody was obviously the highest ranking person, which was freaking me. So you got volunteered for that job, huh? Yeah, yes. and, um, I remember sitting there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I know what I have to do. And I didn't hesitate, but I did have to take a breath. I'm like, all right, this is this is just what needs to be done. So I went ahead and I gave my next commands as briefly as I could. I said, OK, you're on the radio you're in charge. This is what we're doing. Guys strap in. I said, you guys need to go ahead and cover me. I said, you know, some, you know, conserve your ammunition, but cover me so I can get out there so I can mark this LZ. And, um, I think Camillo, uh, I think he was the one he said, you know, cause with your all's accent, he's like, Sergeant, Sergeant. <laughs> he's like, he's like let, let me go. I said, no, they make fun of me to this day. Cause I said, no, this is my OP. I got to do this. But they were like, oh, there's Sergeant Wood. Wind's blowing in his hair. He's got an American flag as a cape. He said, no, this is my I got to do it. Has an eagle, so like, I, on his shoulder? Yeah, the eagle was calling and lightning was flashing. 
so I handed everything off. I made my piece, you know, clapped some shoulders real quick, and then I took off by myself. And that was the the that was so quiet in that moment. I could hear everything else. I went out. It was pitch black. Had my NVGs on. I could see Taliban movement. I could hear them talking when I was out there on this field by myself. And I've never felt so alone or by myself in my entire life. And that two minutes was the longest two minutes of my life because it wasn't two minutes that time. It had to have been 45 seconds when I got everything ready and good to go. And I'm about 50 yards away, 50 meters away from the OP, about 75 actually. And I just felt like a million miles away. And I was just sitting there and I was on my knees, you know, crouched down with my rifle and I'm sitting there looking around and I had the strobe and the strobe was on and I could see my guys covering me from behind me, things like that. And they were shooting, you know, this way. And, um, they obviously saw me and I'm sitting there wondering, like, where are the helicopters? Where are these birds at? You know, and they said two minutes and, um, out of nowhere, I just heard just this thump, 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 just coming right over like behind me, just out of nowhere. And I looked up and I could see John in the doorway. And there's a there's the door gunner. And the door gunner was over there and he was able to cover, you know, the, the landing zone. But John is over this dude's shoulder, like looking down, <laughs> like about ready to jump off this helo that's like 50 feet up in the air as it circles around it looks like an action movie and i'm looking up at john and i'm like oh there's john i'm like oh my gosh he's awesome i take the throw i throw it as hard as i can the first bird lands and they hop off you know and then the second bird comes and i don't have a strobe anymore so they don't know where i'm at and i swear i almost got crushed by this helo as the second one came down i'm like i'm gonna come out here and do all this and i'm just i'm gonna die i'm gonna die with I'm going to die with boxers on because that's all I had. I had boxers and a plate carrying a helmet. Oh, of course this dude died. Well, look at what he's wearing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's so the intense. second one, you know, they, they throw all the ammo out. They throw these, you know, they, uh, they call them speed balls. Where yep. They throw a bunch of ammo, water, MREs, and these body bags, toss them out. All these guys are grabbing this stuff and going, and we're just rock, you know, we're rocking and rolling back up to the OP. Now we got these two, you know, we got two squ- uh, squads of guys. All my guys are motivated. We got water, we got food, we got more ammo we can stick in the fight. Um, and then John got back up there and it was amazing because John came up there and there's our other squad leaders, some of my best friends. They all came up here and they, every single one of them was a volunteer to come get us out of this. And John comes up and he does not take over command. He still gives me command of the OP. He was just there as a fighter. That's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to be there for us. He just wanted to be there with me. And he just wanted to be there and be an extra gun. And that's just, that that's, that's amazing. You know, and that was, that was just, that was just awesome just to have him, you know, there with our friends, you know, with our best friends. And it was just, yeah, it was great. And then it wasn't, but maybe an hour later, we were starting to get really heavy air cover and we just rained hell on that mountain. It was just insane. I mean, we had, rotary winged aircraft we had fixed wing aircraft you know we just rocked that whole valley for about two and a half hours straight with a lot of taxpayer money <laughs> a lot of taxpayer money and i felt great i felt great not not a single man not a single man from our element was injured not a single man that's amazing that is that, that is, is that, that is, is absolutely amazing and and 
what an intense story. I mean, I, I can't even imagine, like you said, how alone you must mm. have felt sitting in a field. Like, I, I, it, it must have been surreal. I can't, mm. I'm in my head now, I'm trying mm -hmm. to imagine it and I can't even yeah. get close to it. So uh, thank you both, by the way, yeah. for, for all you do for our nation. And I, I will say that, you know, there was a time when people thought of the National Guard and they just thought, you know, ah, oh, they're just weekend warriors. I don't know if, you, of course, you both remember the movie First Blood when Rambo's up in the woods oh, and the National Guard comes to get him. And something tells me that if you two were leading the National Guard team that went after Rambo, that little town may not have had such devastation. <laughs> However, Johnny, let, let's let's get into your side of the story for a little bit. I want to I want to hear your you know your version. All right, so I'll just pick up from uh, as Brian he, he already laid out the landscape um, how they had captured the guy earlier in the day, mm -hmm. and then, you know I'm down at the I'm down at Fob Right, and uh, just a little bit more of the landscape. So at the peak of the mountain, we're opening up side of the mountain you're overlooking the valley down overwatching far right right and brian already elaborated the importance on far right being a refuel point for aviation it and just by the way for everyone and while john's frozen real quick fob stands for forward operating base yeah. oh hold on johnny you there yep okay go ahead sorry and so far right was the, the furthest forward refuel point for rotary wing, which are helicopters, and then as well as the forward surgical support team. So they had surgeons on site for all the casualties that uh, would have happened in any of the combat action in northern northeastern Afghanistan. Uh, and then on the opposite side of, of the mountaintop, down into the other valley, into Ganjgal. Um, Ganjgal is very well known for the Taliban activity because that's where several medals of honor had been awarded previously to our deployment there. Uh, there was Fob Wright. Fob Wright was down there, and the Taliban would c constantly harass Fob Wright. Uh, I'm sorry, Fob Joyce. Fob Joyce with indirect fires from mortars and rockets. And from OP Nevada's position, we had a really good position to pinpoint the enemy's locations. So, John, are you fairly close to the Pakistan border there? Say that again? Were you fairly close to the Pakistan border? Yes, we were. Yes. So, Johnny, when, you, when you're down at the base and you get word that, you know, your guys are in a fight and, you know, you can see it, what, what's going through your head when you first get that information? So, I, getting the intel reports, as Brian was saying, how they captured him and then uh, Afghan in, intelligence elements came up and retrieved him down off of the mountaintop during, earlier during the day and the Taliban thought they were still up there. And we were getting all the intel reports from radio intercepts that uh, who the guy was related to the, the local Taliban leader. And the Taliban leader was swearing to that all his men would fight to the death to get his uncle back off of the top of that mountain. So they didn't know the local Taliban didn't know that he wasn't on the mountain anymore. And so any of the communications we had between Brian and myself on a different frequency than the fob was on um, more private conversation. Um, it consisted more of, you know, hey, get ready, something's going to happen. Um, we would confirm the intel from what his interpreter was getting up, as well as what we were getting down at the base. Um, it, it it got kind of tense, but then again, uh, a lot of times the Taliban make idle threats. They'll say they're going to do something, and sometimes nothing ever happens. 
So it was like, we're going to wait and, and see how this situation develops. Right. Um, you, you guys still there? Yeah, we're yeah, here. Go we ahead, Johnny. You. Okay. Sorry. It's all and right. then as, um, as the day went on and the sun started going down, started getting dark. It was just like, Hey guys, you know, me and Brian talking back and forth. And again, on the private frequency, um, off in the platoon room, because the, the relationship with the commander and, wanting to have his fingers in everything caused more confusion on that mission than it was as uh, a contributing factor to success. So we would talk more personal on a, on a different frequency and we just war game out different things and, and, and listen to his ideas. And he was picked for that position, right? I, I saw Brian in the worst of times on an earlier deployment. And I knew he was the guy, he was gonna be able to handle this. So all I gotta do is just provide the support he needs from my position as the platoon sergeant. So nighttime came and as we're watching across the valley, you're looking across and like, like Brian said, it's like one mile as the crow flies, but it's probably about, you know, on a map, looking down a map, probably like five to six clicks kilometers away, but you're, it's on peaks going steep up like this. So you can't get up to it in a vehicle. The only way we can transport personnel back and forth is through uh, rotary wing, uh, capabilities through use of helicopters. And so looking across the valley and the very first radio report comes down that, hey, we're receiving contact. Now everyone's, you know, radar's up. People are coming outside, all the soldiers in the platoon, everyone's standing outside and watching the firefight from across the valley. And you can see the rounds going back and forth. And you can see the explosions where the location of OP Nevada is from the RPG detonating as well as they were, they were taking motors as well. Um, so that was going on and, and all we could do from where we're at down at the FOB is it, just watch in anticipation that, hey, we made sure those guys were trained right. They're gonna fight, give it all they got. Um, when they need help, we have to be ready to go help them. So we, this isn't a spectator show. It's not time for us to sit here and watch the fireworks like we're down watching the 4th of July, right? Yep. This is, hey, those are our guys. Several of those guys lived in my house before they all deployed. The, the tightness and the relationship within that platoon was amazing. And to see the willingness of those that couldn't be involved, like trying to gnaw off their arm just so they could get involved in, in the, the support and the help to send those guys up there to make sure they make it through the night. That um, must have been frustrating, and I'm sure I can understand why Ryan said you looked like you wanted to jump out of that helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was It's hard to watch because a, a lot of these guys, there was a lot of soldiers that had previous combat experience. That combat experience that they had previously was because they served with me before. So there was a lot of personal relationships mm -hmm. involved in trying to be a competent and tactical leader and not get caught up in emotions is a very difficult thing because this, we were tight. Yeah, I mean, living with a group of guys in, in a house prior to deploy, you must have had, you know, just at that age too, you must have had fun hijinks that really brought you together that way. And then of course the bond from going to war and going overseas is through the roof. So that must have been just unbelievable. It, that, that was one of my hardest obstacles was to detach my emotions from it because 
I, I've, I've, at that point, I had I'd already lost several friends and, and soldiers during deployments. And, um, you know, I didn't, I wanted to do whatever I could. Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. I, 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 and Johnny, thank you for, for talking about this stuff, yeah. by the way. I can tell just talking to you and Brian that even when you talk about this in a fun way, it causes a little bit of tension in you. I can see you, you, you know, yeah. I can see you tightening up a little bit. And I don't want that, for God's sakes. But uh, <laughs> did we lose Brian, Noah? Brian, he with us still? Yeah, he dropped. He, he so dropped. Brian dropped off. So I think what we're going to do, Johnny, is we're going to have a part two to this show Ooh, where we good. continue with a bunch of the guys that were at the base that day. So I don't know. Do you want to cut it off here and then do a part two? Uh, man, that'd be amazing. Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. So that way we can get back hold of Brian. So I have to ask too, was yeah. Rashad part of this? Yeah, was Rashid part of, of this or was he in the other one? No, he was in the he was in the, the, the Humvee. Okay. Okay. When, when, yeah. when we're dealing with you and your, your military buddies, John, we got several like uh, of these battles that we have to go mm -hmm. through. It's amazing what you guys have gone through in your time. But Brian hopped off. He had something to do. But for those of you who are watching, Brian today has an incredible business. It's called Good Shepherd Defense. G-O-O-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D-D-E-F-E-N-S-E.com. He does uh, weapons training, self-defense, arms training, a bunch of cool stuff. Check out his website. But we are going to come back next week with part two. We may even do a part three with Op Nevada. Who knows? Uh, and we're going to have some of the other guys, I think, John, that might we might be able to get that with yeah, the other day. They're really excited. A chance to talk about it in a chance to see each other's ugly faces a very interesting story <laughs> and, can't wait to hear more and let me tell you joy and i are very uh honored to have you guys yeah. coming on our show to talk to us again we know for those watching uh, the guys don't really love talking about all their battles and stuff almost everyone i've ever met is incredibly humble and we appreciate you taking some time to tell us these stories and, and just let you know everyone out there know some of the things that you folks have gone through uh and one of the reasons why you should appreciate veterans so much is the the heartaches and the things they've done in the name of freedom for us. And remember, whether you agree or disagree with why they're there, they just go anyway. So, yeah, you know, that's why we give them respect. So we thank you all. And we all. thank you, John yes. and, and Brian, who dropped off for wanting to give back as much as you do. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. And and uh, by the way, Brian, it's, obviously, is your friend. Like, well, as soon as I saw him pop on the <laughs> Zoom, I'm like, if this ain't one of Melson's buddies, I don't know what is. So he looks just like you, for God's sakes. But anyway, Brian, if we, when you, we'll talk to you next week. If you're watching this one, we want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story. John, thank you for sharing your story. Everybody, please like, subscribe, follow. We're on YouTube, Facebook, all Rumble. of the social media, Rumble, Podbean, all the Spotify, all that good stuff. We're working on making it easier to do all that, but unfortunately, none of us, we're, we're all, we can talk, but we're not the best with the technology. But, Johnny, you want to take us out with the uh, ever-popular slogan we leave with? Yeah, uh, I, I do just want to add something more to the show really quick. Absolutely. It's, you know, a lot of times guys see these, these Hollywood movies, these big things that come out about different battles and stuff that took place, um, and it's mostly, you know, uh, special operations and not to take away from any of those guys they played an enormous role in success in in the 20 something years of war we found ourselves in uh, but as we base the show off of guts and grit right and we're talking today about those soldiers that i've had the honor and privilege to serve with they were from the national guard right and so when we say guts and grit these are guys that were taxi drivers carpenters plumbers they were everyday people mark that gave that up to go and get trained with me for a few months and then go serve on the battlefield in Afghanistan and 
and have that guts and grit to go ahead and push through battles like OP Nevada, right? And man, that's that's the everyday person. That's that's an American right there. Mm-hmm. That's the right. American spirit yes, right exactly. there, if I've ever heard it. Mm-hmm. Now you get me all riled up, I know. John. <laughs> right? And so I'm saying that because I think that's something we can all relate to, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you see that kid dropping off your pizza, you never know that he could have been with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Open Nevada, and you didn't think so just because he's not a special forces guy, you wouldn't think. But there's people, your neighbors, there's people all throughout the communities. You just don't know what they're capable of. And, and if, if they have a guy like you training them, I think they're capable of pretty much anything, Johnny. I, I try and do my best. I, right? I, I, we, we are all, trust me when I tell you, we're all very happy with your best. And we all sleep better at night knowing you're on the uh, front lines. Thank you for bringing that up, though. All right. Now, what is the line we like to go out with? Which, which actually today's show is very important to, to follow our advice here because I believe all the gentlemen that were at OP Nevada followed this uh, this advice from you. And you took the words right out of my mouth, Mark. Maybe not verbatim, but that's the line I was going with. You know, the whole thing with why I, I, I train and do what I do is to train to be hard to kill. And all those guys, they understand that method of madness. They adopted it. It, it absorbed into them and it became part of them. And I, I truly believe to my core, that's what contrib- one of the contributing things for them to be so successful in Afghanistan and as well as getting through the trials and tribulations post-deployment, getting through life and, and getting a, picking themselves up from some dark places after what they went through. Yeah, we, we'll, we're going to have a show discussing that at some point, too. So because make sure you tip your pizza guy, because yes. he might be hard to kill. <laughs> yes, make sure you tip the pizza guy good, because he might be hard to kill. Hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in to Episode 9 of Guts and Grit. Don't worry, we're going to come back with more on OP Nevada and some of the soldiers that were there. Johnny, thank you as always. Joy, Thanks, thank John. you. And Noah, the engineer, Mark. thank you. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Bye-bye. I'll see you. Glad you're okay, Joy. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, John. <laughs> Guts and Grit. Like, subscribe, comment, share.